1: wants to say, look right before me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. You know how far the lamp shines? The lamp shines right before you. And step by step, we follow Him. One step at a time. That's how we follow Christ. He doesn't ask us to do leaps and bounds. He doesn't ask us to get on a scooter and ride five steps ahead of Him. He didn't say, run ahead of me and I'll catch up. He said, follow me. Follow me.
0: It's important to be aware of when you're following your plans instead of God's guidance and to always correct back to His path when you're straying from it. Pastor Dave teaches you today that relying on yourself will create trouble and waste time. Only by understanding God's will and following His guidance will you truly flourish. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 2 as he continues his message, Come As You Are.
1: You are sure It's interesting this term, my hour, is using John's gospel seven times. What hour is Jesus referring to? In John 17, Jesus prays this. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. This is the hour he's talking about. The hour of crucifixion. The hour of resurrection. The hour of ascension. The the hour of the time where the refutable declaration of who Jesus is told his mother Mary, my hour has not come yet. It's a time of undeniable proof of Jesus' deity as he's raised from the dead, as he ascends into heaven. The hour is when his earthly ministry is completed. His mission is accomplished and the Father is glorified. And we know that that took place first on a cross. The mission completed with the words, it is finished. The idea of an, of the, an hour, this hour is the key element in John's account. Why? Because Jesus didn't live by a earthly timetable. Many of you, and I included, have calendars on our desk or we have one of those little things that have a calendar in it. We write down all the things that we're going to do and all the stuff that we're doing. I have that and I always forget what I'm doing anyhow. God doesn't live on our timetable. God lives on a different timetable. He lives on a divine timetable. God's timetable is divine. It's far above our timetable. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He lives on a divine timetable and is completely marked out for Jesus. Jesus knew the timetable. He knew the markings of the timetable. And that's why the Scripture says he took his face like a flint towards the cross. And everything he did, everything he accomplished, even this miracle was pointing to the cross and led to the cross. Everything. What do I have to do with you? My hour's not coming. It's not time for this. It's not time for this to happen. There are still things to do. In verse 5, John records the very, very last words of Mary in the Bible. These are the last words of Mary in the Bible, and I think that all of us need to take heed of what Mary is saying here. It is our focus verse for the day. It's what we really need to think What is Jesus telling us? Or what can we learn? If you can learn one thing from these 12 verses today, that's the scripture we need to learn. Mary simply looks at the servants and says, whatever he says, do it. Wow, pretty good advice. Really, really good advice. Whatever he says, do it. Trust me on this, folks. Wow, they're significant words. Mary directs the servants to her son, she reveals that she is now willing to let her son do whatever it pleased him, and she trusted him to do whatever was right. Notice, please notice she's not acting as a liaison. Mary is not a liaison between us and Jesus. We come to Jesus on our own. We come to him by ourselves. We do not have to go through anyone. Jesus, in fact, is the liaison between us and God. There is no one in between us and Jesus. Please don't make that mistake. It's a sad commentary that many believe that you have to go to Mary to get to Jesus and to the Father It's not biblical. It's worth noting that Jesus took care of the problem, not Mary. Mary didn't take care of the problem. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Then we don't even know what happened to her. She walked away and enjoyed the party. It was also noteworthy that Jesus pointed to Mary pointed to Jesus and didn't point to herself. She pointed to Jesus. Something like this says to me that oftentimes we ask the Lord to do something that will kind of get us off the hook. Sometimes we ask the Lord to to do something that will kind of make us look better. Nobody wants to look bad. We ask the Lord to make us look better, help us look better. We ask him to do something that will smooth the road or even lighten the load. And just like Mary's request, when we ask those things in reality, they're self-centered. If it's true that Mary wanted herself vindicated, that was self-centeredness. As right as it may be, it was still self-centered. When we want things, we're self-centered. And Jesus says to us, what do I have to do with you? It's not my hour yet. And we go, what? I thought you were, but I, what? It's not my hour yet. What is he saying? He's saying now's not the time. Now's not the place. Trust me, the problem will be solved. Trust me, your reputation will be salvaged. Trust me, the provision will be made. And yes, the healing's going to come, but not yet. My hour hasn't come. And we need to, by faith, accept that and be obedient to what he is telling us. Whatever he says, do. Whatever he says, do. It's good to pay attention to these words that are recorded because what they do is they simply glorify Jesus. And that is our whole purpose in life, Christian, You're looking for purpose in your life now that you've accepted Jesus Christ? Glorify Him. The sole purpose of what we live and why we're here, to glorify God. Whatever He says, do. I love this. Simple obedience. Every one of us wants a radical transformation. We want it to occur in our lives as we follow Jesus. But we must realize this, Radical transformation will occur in your walk with the Lord when you realize that He is the master and you're not. He is the king and you are the subject. He's the boss, you're the servant. Your job is not to order Him around or even make suggestions to Him. Your place is to be ready for Him, rest in Him, and do whatever He says. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's what we're called to do as Christians. I'm not up here telling you that it's it's a barrel of laughs and that it's real easy to do. You don't hear me saying those kind of things. But that's what we're called to do. Whatever he says, do it. Well, you read through this book, he says an awful lot. He tells us an awful lot of things. How many of the things are you doing in this book? How many of the things are you following in this book? It's an interesting thing that we need to look inside. So as we move along in verses 6 through 8, Jesus solves the problem. He has a solution and he goes to the servants and he says this. Now, there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Simple instructions. Simple instructions. There are six water pots of stones according to the magnification of purification of the Jews. containing 20 to 30 gallons. What was their purpose? Everyone washed. Everyone had a wash ceremonial before they ate, before they did certain things. They had a wash ceremonial. Each guest was given water to wash their hands, to wash their feet before they came in the house. The jars of water were there to fulfill the Old Testament requirements of ceremonial washing. But Jesus now is transforming this water used in the ceremonial cleansing. He's not only transforming the water, but he's transforming Judaism. He is transforming Judaism. Even the fulfillment of ceremonial washings. The spiritual cleansing was Jesus' blood on the cross. It supersedes everything. The cleansing we receive from Jesus Christ on the cross and His blood supersedes all of the law. It supersedes it. It doesn't replace it. It fulfills and supersedes it. Jesus fulfilled the rituals and replaced them with something better. Himself. Himself. Notice the obedience of the servants. I love this. They didn't argue with them. They followed Mary's cue. Whatever he says, do it. Jesus said, fill up thing. They filled it. But look at the energy. They filled them to the brim. That shows excitement. That shows we're going to do this. And they did it to the best of their ability. They didn't just fill them halfway. These pots are large. They're heavy. How are we going to carry them? Fill them up. And they filled them to the brim, it says. Notice the patience. They followed Jesus step by step. They followed him along the way. He leads them step by step. Do this, they did it. Do this, they did it. That's our life, folks. That's our life. Jesus never says, do this, go down there, turn right, go all the way down to the corner, turn left, and then drive nine miles, a miles. No, he doesn't do that. He says, do this. And then when you get there, he says, now do this. He told Philip in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, great revival going on. People were getting saved left and right. And he taps Philip on the shoulder and says, you got to go to the Gaza. What do you mean you got to go to Gaza? you got to go to Gaza. There's a revival going on here, Lord. you got to go to Gaza. Philip went down there for one person, an Ethiopian eunuch. One person. But he followed Jesus. He did what he's told to do. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And Jesus follows him. He gives us one step at a time. And I always go, but Lord, what about steps two through five? We want to know what's happening down here when Jesus wants to say, look, right before me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. You know how far the lamp shines? The lamp shines right before you. And step by step we follow him. One step at a time. That's how we follow Christ. He doesn't ask us to do leaps and bounds. He doesn't ask us to get on a scooter and ride five steps ahead of him. He didn't say, run ahead of me and I'll catch up. He said, follow me. Follow me. No. I want to know what we're doing now and what we're doing next week and what we're doing the week after that. And the scripture says, "Be careful, foolish one, for your life may be required of you tonight." You say, "If I go here, if it be the Lord's will." You see the results of the miracle in verses 9 through 10. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. These are the results. The quality of the new wine was so superior that the person in charge praised everybody around. He went to the bridegroom, and he patted on the back. Good job. Good job. The day was saved. But more importantly, Jesus was glorified. Jesus was glorified. In verse 11, John records that this was the first miracle. He calls it a sign. He said this is the first sign that Jesus did. Now, I have to say this. There are theories going around that Jesus healed birds when he was a little boy and he did all kinds of crazy things and stuff like that. Well, then if that be true, then John's a liar. But since John was inspired by the Holy Spirit, I tend to believe, John, that this was the first miracle that Jesus ever did. Also in, first, also in verse 11, we see that the miracle did something for the disciples. The miracle did something for the disciples in 11. It says, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifested his glories and his disciples believed in him. Wow. Wow, they started to look at him. It was revealed Jesus' glory. The disciples believed in him. Seeing this gave the disciples a stronger foundation for their faith. I wonder if they said, did you see what he just did? Yo, did you see this? It was a great beginning for them. They were drawn closer to Jesus Christ. They started to believe in him. Their faith started to progress. They were moving quickly. You remember what they were moving from? They were moving from just being curious to being even more convinced. And there will come a day when they are committed, convinced about Jesus Christ. As I said, there's so many things we can glean from these scriptures. I've I've got I've got several of them that I'd like to go over. The first one is, notice that the word sign is used in verse 11. What is a sign? A sign points beyond itself to something greater. A sign is pointing to something greater. It was not enough to believe For people to believe in Jesus' work, they had to believe it was he who the Father had sent. What must we do to do the works of the kingdom, they said in John 6, 29. What must we do to do the works of the kingdom? James just simply said, believe upon him whom he sent. This sign points to something greater, points to the Father. Why was the new wine better than the old? If wine represents joy, then the picture here is that the world's joy always runs out and you can never regain it. But the joy given by Jesus is ever and always new. It is always and ever satisfying. The world offers its best first. The world offers its best first and then once you're hooked, things start to go downhill from there. But Jesus continues to offer that which is best until you meet him face to face that glorious day. And there's a message for the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was pictured as married to God and unfaithful in that covenant marriage. The wine is gone. All Israel had left was six empty water parts. Six empty water pots. They yield the water for external washing, but they could not provide the internal washing and the cleansing that the nation needed. Jesus brings us fullness where there is emptiness. Are you empty today? Jesus wants to fill you. Jesus wants to fill you to that overflowing. Jesus brings joy when there is no joy. And fourthly, there's a huge parallel here. You can really get deep into it. I started to read through it, and it was fascinating to me. I've got some notes on this, but try to follow along. There are so many parallels of the Jewish wedding and our relationship to Christ. There are so many parallels. The first part of the wedding is the marriage covenant. The first part of the wedding is the marriage covenant. What happens here is the bride is selected for the groom, and the father pays for the bride and establishes a covenant. The marriage covenant was established between you and the father when you accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That was the marriage covenant. When you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you entered into a marriage covenant, a covenant relationship with God. And you became part of the bride, the church. And the father paid for it. What did he pay with it? The blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the blood of Jesus Christ for you. After the betrothal, the groom returns to the father's house to prepare a place. Read John 14, 1 through 3. After the betrothal, the bridegroom leaves for a while to prepare a place for he and his bride. This happened when Jesus ascended into heaven. He's been gone now all these years, preparing a place for us. Read John 14, 1, 2, 3. In my my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. But if I go, I'll come back. At a predetermined time in Jewish custom, the bride goes and collects his bride and brings her to the Father's house. This is represented by the rapture of the church. Because when the bridegroom comes in, who, how many of you remember in Matthew 25? In Matthew 25, the parable of the ten versions. What was the call? The bridegroom cometh. The bridegroom cometh. He came with a shout, didn't he? The bridegroom comes with a shout and collects his bride. The rapture of the church. The rapture of church. Jesus will return with a shout, with a trump, and will collect his church, and we will be with him. And then it gets really crazy, it gets interesting because the celebration or the feast lasted how long? Seven days. Guess what? During that time, the bride was secluded. The bride is secluded in the, in, in the chamber, is away. The bride is away for seven times. What do you think that's gonna happen once after the rapture takes place? That gap was seven. The great tribulation. Seven years. Seven years, and at the end of the seven years, the bride is presented to all with great fanfare. What happens at the end of the tribulation? We come back with Jesus Christ. What a great parallel! If you can't go back and read it for yourself, it's a study. It look through the scriptures. It's a really cool parallel. really, you look at the wedding of the ancient Jewish customs and you compare them to our relationship with Christ. It's really cool. Number five was that wine was a normal drink of people in Jesus' day, it had a significant purpose. We must not use this miracle for an argument for the use of alcoholic beverages. We must not use this. Someone once said, well, after all, Jesus turned wine to water. You can reply to that. So, Well, that's great. But if you're using Jesus as an example for drinking, are you using G- Jesus as an example for every everybody else in your life? While the Bible does not command total abstinence, it certainly magnifies it and definitely warns against drunkenness. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the One last thought, if you will. Marriage is one of the most sacred institutions the Lord has ordained. We know from Scripture, specifically Malachi 2.11, it's written... The Lord's holy institution, which he loves, talking about marriage. He loves marriage. God loves the institution of marriage. God has chosen marriage to be an illustration of Christ's relationship to the church. Marriage mirrors his image and relationship to people. You might ask, how does this happen? How can we do this? Well, if you look at our story today, you'll find a simple procedure. Stone vessels are filled with water. Servants drew out the water, and the water became wine. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says we're earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels. So then I must allow the Word of God to completely fill me to the brim. The Word of God completely fills me, and I draw on it, and then I'm able to serve my wife the way she is entitled to be served. Likewise, the woman seeks God and allows the Word of God to fill her. And then she can serve the husband the way the husband is supposed to be served. The water of the word is transformed into the wine of joy. When husband and wife do that, it doesn't have to be a theological discussion. Just a simple conversation, sharing whatever God has been doing in your life. Whatever it stimulates the conversation, whatever convicts you or whatever encourages you, just share the word of God one to another. Christian marriages should be an example to the world. Christian marriages should be an example of the world to God's love and action. And just like the end result in the marriage of Cana, in our marriages here on earth, God should be glorified. Jesus should be glorified. And you thought this was just a simple story. Just a little more than that. Once again, as we close this morning, I challenge you to go back and reread this, not just as a story, but ask the Spirit of God to show you some exciting things in here. Maybe you could come up with even more of the, some of the things that I came up with. Follow it along. Follow it along. We had a great teaching yesterday uh, from Bill at the immense breakfast. And, and one of the things he said that struck me, which is so true. You take the Bible and you look at it, and we study Proverbs as a man. You take it and you look at it, and you get one theme. Take that one theme and follow it through the Bible. See where it leads. Follow it as it goes through the Bible and the many twists and turns that that one theme takes. And, and build on that and study it and let it come a part of you. It's so wonderful when you get into God's Word like that. So many of us just say, I have to read God's Word today, and you're reading it out. Okay, good. You know, take some time in it. Take, take some time in God's Word, allowing it to refresh you and to fill you. you know, take some time in it. Read it for yourself. Yes, it's okay to read it through. But some, take some time to look at it and, and, and chew on it, meditate on it. Let, let it do something to you and, and change you. God's Word will change you. God's Word will change your life if you let it. If you allow. it. The disciples believed in Jesus. Jesus was glorified. But it doesn't get any better than that doesn't get any better than that process. We believe in our Lord. We want Him to be glorified in our lives. Amen. You are a sure hope.
0: Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.